back, everybody, to We Are TPM with myself, Kyle Teixeira. Sitting next to me is John Teixeira. <laughs> Glad to be back this did week. You, did you have to think about your name there? No, or I was trying, just trying to be deliberate. Thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So if you guys are interested in why I just did that or anything else we have to talk about <laughs> on this podcast, give us a call 817 818 9039. Shoot us an email at show me, me the, the money. money at wertpm.com. Let's get into what we are talking about this week, which is not subject one, subject three, or subject four. We are talking about subject two, creative financing, and that is a two with a T-O-O. No, just, no, just one two. Just one two. Oh. Oh. Just one O. Oh. But not T-W-O. No, not so, T-W-O. Subject two. And I'm, that's all I'm going to say about that subject. Just kidding. What are we talking about? <laughs> you know, well, I think one of the reasons why we want to talk about this today is because we we have an economic, um, um, oh my gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? We kind of have a a, a, a groundwork, a market for it right now, for it to start coming up and st- people start using it again. And because of that, people are starting to talk about it on on social media. And I'm seeing some some things that that are interesting and some that maybe are a little bit misleading about it. And I feel like I have a lot of experience using subject twos in the past when it was, when it was was beneficial, when when it was a market that was beneficial for it. And this is part of our, what we're talking about creative financing. So this one is very creative, I would say, um, (laughs) because there's a lot of points and factors and, and interests to, to a subject two deal. Mm -hmm. Um, but, the market we're talking about that these things come more prevalent is, and this will make sense as we get into it is high interest rates, um, you know, inflated values, inflation, all this stuff that we're dealing with right now is when these things uh, come into play. Cause when you recently had, this is an even bigger one. You had recently had low interest rates and, or a high number of homes that were purchased or are out there, that were previously purchased were previously purchased at low interest rates, mm-hmm. and now you're in a high interest rate environment. Um, this is probably the most prevalent combination of that environment because we got there so quickly. We went from so low to higher interest rates so quickly. So you're making great points, but I feel like we need to define what we're talking yep. about. So let's take a step back and define what we are, what we're talking about. Subject to, as it's referred to, financing, is specifically refers to the term subject to the existing financing. That's what they mean when you say subject to. So what you're doing is you basically are using the existing financing that's in place from the previous um, owner right? You're using their financing and continuing it. And sometimes slash usually that also includes some kind of cash infusion. Um, Maybe you're catching up a mortgage that's behind. Maybe you're paying some taxes. Maybe you're doing some of both of that. There's something else involved in that other than just assuming you're not really assuming other than using that, that existing financing. And I think it's important that we explain what the difference is between a subject to and assumption because they're very different. Assumptions also are coming back. Probably something else we need to talk about. Yeah. And they're very similar, but extremely different. Yes. Extremely different risk, extremely different the way they operate. So um, 
Let's just let's. You want to use an example first? Should we go that route? Yeah. Well, so no, we're purchasing a house. We're, this is creative financing, right? So normally I purchase a house. I have seller and I have buyer. You know, John's going to be buyer. I'm going to be seller. All right. There we go. All right. So I like it. We want to sell this house for a hundred thousand. You know, let's be more realistic. Let's sell houses for five hundred thousand, <laughs> right? Um, we can't use the hundred thousand example anymore. <laughs> well, just... uh, let's let's do this. Let's use the most common scenario that a subject two is done. Let's okay. say you, the seller, are behind on your mortgage. Yep, I got a. Let's go back to a hundred thousand. Why not? Right, it's easy. Sure, you bought it. I got a, I got a hundred thousand um, dollar house, right? Or I want to sell it to you for two hundred thousand. Okay. My mortgage on it was a hundred thousand. That's that's where we were getting at. Okay. Uh, my yep. mortgage remaining is a hundred thousand. I bought this house, let's say five years ago, at an interest rate of. Let's go three years ago and an interest rate of 3.25%. Okay. I love it. So Mr. Seller over here has a mortgage at 3.25% based on 100000 and you want to buy it for 200000 right. But I'm behind on my mortgage, right? So if I don't pay my mortgage, bank's going to take it from me, and they're going to sell it for whatever they want to sell it for. So. Right. So me as the buyer, I may not be as inclined to give you your $100,000, right? Because I'm basically saving you, mm-hmm. right? Like, so what, while I may want to give you something to entice you to work with me, I don't necessarily, and this is, I'm, I'm pointing this out because this is one of the reasons why people do this. I don't necessarily need to give you the hundred thousand that you think you, you deserve because if I don't do anything or nobody comes in and, and helps you out of this quote unquote mess that you're in, then you lose a house to foreclosure and you get nothing. Mm-hmm. So my sales pitch to you as the buyer is instead of you getting nothing, why don't I give you something? Why don't I pay your payments up so your credit doesn't continue to suffer, right? Put, I don't know, $25,000 in your pocket so you can walk away and have some moving expenses and have some profit. Mm-hmm. How's that sound? And instead of foreclosure, walking away with nothing and getting thrown out of your house. Now, everyone's in a different situation. So I just painted a picture of somebody who maybe doesn't have any of their options. Sometimes you as the seller, you do have other options. Mm -hmm. And maybe this, the offer I just made to you may not work. So it's a negotiation and, and every, every situation is going to be a little bit, a little bit different. Yeah. And I'd I'd like to point out that you bring it up in that manner that this is a, this is commonly where I'd say sellers in bad situations get taken advantage yes, of they in do. situation in, they do. In, in deals like this. This is one mm-hmm. of those de- tools that can be used to take advantage of people. So keep that in mind. Like in the scenario you just mentioned, I've seen where they promise to lease it. You know, it all sounds great. And now you get to lease your own property for, for five years or whatever. But, you know. You're a day late on your payment, and now they're kicking you out. Stuff like that. Yeah, so. yeah, you are absolutely right, 100%. And, and, and while we talk about all this, this is creative, and you do have to be careful about people out there. They're snakes, right? Mm-hmm. That does not mean that if somebody comes in and makes an offer like the one I just made you, that they're necessarily a snake or taking advantage. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what you're saying either. There are just other ways that people take advantage of people. I just um, wanted to bring that up because someone comes to you with a subject too. Don't just think it's a great deal, right? We're going to get into uh, You got to be careful. You got to get into why because – That's why um, we're going to talk about it. We're going to get into the details here today so that people understand, so that 
instead of what I'm seeing on social media right now is kind of that overview picture to make it all sound great. This is how you should buy, right? Well, it's hard to, I mean, it's hard to get these deals done because one one thing we're leaving out here is it it is usually only in the seller's interest to do these deals when they have a need, like you just described, yep. right? When it is they ha- are running out of options and they don't want to lose. Because in, in that example, I have $100,000 in equity that I don't want to lose, right? They foreclose on me. I don't just lose all the money I've put into this that $100,000 principal. I also lose the 100000 in equity uh, that I could get out there on the market if I was going to go sell it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't have the time for that. Maybe you're about to be foreclosed on. Mm-hmm. Um, so this buyer can come in, pay all that back, and subject to your mortgage. And basically what that means is they're going to take it over on a back-end agreement with you. It's not an agreement with the lender. It's a you're signing something that gives me subject to rights, uh, you know, your your mortgage is subject to me. That's why it's subject T O me. You know. So so, well, it's subject to the existing financing. But yeah. yes, you're right. So so here's what happens. Let's walk through the the pieces of it, and then we'll talk more. We'll get more into the concepts of how, why, and the risks because mm-hmm. there's risks on both sides. So so basically, when I've done these in the past, I've actually gone to a title company. I do them just like any other real estate transaction. Go to the title company. You do title work. You clear the title work. The title company knows that you're transferring um, subject to the existing financing. They're getting... Um, they're getting a payoff amount and everything so that we know at the time of closing what where are we right there at the time of closing, right? Like what is our benchmark? And so the um, they close it and there's a lot of disclosures with the subject too because to make sure everybody knows exactly what they're doing um, and you close it now and now you're – you're on the hook for, well, actually, okay. So legally or credit wise, the buyer really isn't on the hook for anything now. Legally you are, but, but that loan is still in the name of that seller, mm-hmm. right? So if you foreclose, if you, if you don't pay it on time, you can start getting lates. Those lates go to or, or hit the credit of the seller, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's really important when you put these things together that you're putting them together with um, the right parties and that there's an agreement that handles all that, that 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 addresses all that beforehand. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not trust necessarily, but there is, I guess, mutual destruction yeah, mutual it, destruction. It, a mutual is that what you destruction said? part of this, right? If it, <laughs> wow, that's a, it, it's it's good the best term. way to I put like it. That. I mean, it's it's not that you trust the other person. You're basically agreeing to, you know, a mutually mutual destruct de- each other. Well, yeah. If you if one party doesn't uphold the other, I mean, it's it screws both of them, right? So, yeah, yeah. and to describe that is because you're you are selling this property, right? So, mm-hmm. seller does sell it to buyer. Buyer has a deed. However, buyer has no liens in their name, no mortgage in their name. So, you know, it's still the seller's mortgage. And in 99.9% of cases, that that note has a due on sale clause that scares everybody off because 
due on sale means when this transfer happens, now the entire loan's due. Well, banks slash mortgagee doesn't really care about that more that due on sale clause as long as the mortgage payments are are made up, right? That's it's not how the contracts are legally written. It's just kind of generally understood that way. Well, no, that's and 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 I've characterized it that way. But but one thing to to clarify is what it says. What the due on sales clause says is that the bank can ask you to do to pay within thirty days if it has transferred to to another party. It doesn't. Say it doesn't it will. say that they will. It says that they can. And I've never seen a bank do it. They really don't care, to your point. They don't really care as long as the payment's made, right, mm-hmm. at that point. I'm sure they care, but, I mean, they don't have the – I mean, if it's a small private lender, then the small private lender may care a lot more than Bank of America is going to care, right? Mm-hmm. So um, just make your payment. Everything's fine with it. And um, and it can be done all up front, on board, legally, with tons of disclosures. And here's the thing with these things. What? Go ahead. I was just driving the structure, though. You didn't, okay, you, go for you it. Know, you got that—that's the risk for the seller. Um, but also, if the buyer doesn't pay that mortgage, seller's only way of doing of, of making that right is to foreclose now on the subject to um, buyer. And in that scenario, if they're not paying the mortgage, they're also being foreclosed on by the bank. So. That's a time game, right? Who who gets foreclosed on faster, um, and then getting your property back from who? You know, it's, it, there. There's pieces of it that can be messy if it's not done right. You know. So. Yeah, I would say if you're even considering doing this, and we could talk a little bit more about what, when you would, might do it. But if you're considering doing it, get people involved that have done it before that know what they're doing. This is a really dangerous game to play if you don't know what you're doing. If you listen to these guys on social media, they make it sound so easy. And it can be easy if you know what you're doing, but get a real estate attorney involved, get a servicing company involved, whoever needs to get involved, get them involved because this can be extremely messy. And if you're a licensed agent, this can, this can ruin your career if you do it wrong. Like this could, this could literally, um, you know, get you violations with whatever you know commission that is that is over your your license and and end your career get you you know you lose your license well in in all these scare points is not what we're meaning to say i guess we kind of skipped over the biggest why and not just why people (laughs) do it but why it is a product that is becoming or a a tool in creative financing that is becoming more prevalent in this market is because of interest rates Mm -hmm. because it is extremely likely that anyone that owns any property right now has either purchased or refinanced during the low interest rate environment we were in in 2020 and 2021 so the likelihood of you having a four percent or lower interest rate right now is very high on your current note. So what we didn't bring up is that's why you're 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 not assuming you're taking over the payments at this low interest mortgage and it can make a huge difference when rates are 6.77% mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. they are right now. Yep. Um so that's why you as buyer want to take this over because if you're an investor looking at cash flow and appreciation or or whatever you're looking at, especially cash flow, if you could take over my 1400 a month payment 
versus your exact same payment at a higher interest rate or your exact same principal amount at an interest rate of 6.7 that may be like 2200 a month, you know, it makes that a big difference to the buyer on what they're going to spend. So it's a way of now you're taking the property, but also taking the good mortgage that you can't go get now. You know, you can't go get, especially federally backed in a lot of cases, you can, you know, just taking over a private money note, you're taking over a, a backed mortgage, mm-hmm. um, which you, know, you just can't do right now. So that's one way to do it. Well, know? and to your point, if interest rate is the main motivator for doing this, which you're right, it probably will be, right? Then it could be just a temporary tool, right? And it should be. It's not something you want to do long term. So let's say you're going to do subject to and then you could refinance. Like, let's take our scenario. Let's go back to my our scenario. I bought that house from you. Let's just say you weren't in arrears and you weren't like it wasn't a problem. It wasn't you weren't didn't have a need Here's the other other reason too. You didn't have a need because you were behind, but let's say you had a need because you wanted your 200,000 and there's eight other homes in your market that that are just exactly like yours and they're starting to sell for sub 200,000 but you still want your 200 grand. Well, as a buyer, I might be able to pay, be willing to pay you your 200 grand, pay a little bit more for the home because I'm getting quote unquote terms. I'm getting subject to terms, which is more attractive to me as a buyer. So I might take over your $100,000 with your great note, right? And then give you $100,000 cash, mm-hmm. right? So that is also a scenario. But I would want to, if I want to take that cash out, I would want to refinance down the road. So let's say interest rates come back down to five. You're, what did you say? You're at 4.3 or something like that. So interest rates come down, back down to five. I want to pull my cash, my 200000 out, or actually it would be 150000 I would be able to pull out so I could get at least some of my cash out. I can refinance that and get rid of that note that is now, now in your name. Yes, and at that I'm the time, owner. once that once that note's paid off, that now as the seller to the deal to the subject to deal initially, I'm free and clear now. My yep. risk is now gone. Your That's risk, right. your you know the other risk we talk about is gone. That that note existing was your risk. Mm-hmm. Um, once it's paid off, there's nothing to tie you to the property anymore, really. Um, and you could you can make that part of the deal when you negotiate. You can make a timeline on when that refinance happens part of part of your negotiation for a subject to deal if you're a seller. Yeah, and, and I'm going to circle back to the deal on sale clause because it's so commonly brought up, especially by investors that are so, you know, worried about or, or mm-hmm. bring that point up and be worried about it. I always find this this one point funny. Um, because it, I always ask this question is, you know, anytime we talk, I've talked about subject to, um, or even, yeah, really, really just the subject to part is they're like, well, what about the due on sale clause? And I'm like, okay, well, tell me about your other properties. And I manage them. You know, we manage them. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I know that after you purchased it under your personal name, you signed it over to your LLC. Mm-hmm. It is the exact same thing. You, mm-hmm. your due on sale clause 
applies in that situation. And people too. do and it all the time. Everybody Nobody does worries it. about it. These same people I talk to do it without worrying about it. Where they're like, "Well, it's my LLC." I'm like, "Well, it's a different name. You change the title. It's you're, literally a different entity. Yeah, it's the literally bank. a different title. It's just like the subject too. You're you're essentially when you sign over that your LLC, your rental property over to the LLC after the notes made in your personal name, you're doing a subject to deal to yourself, essentially, you know, um, it's lower risk because of course you're the controlling person of that entity, but the, and there's no actual contract, but the concept is the same. That is what you're doing. And to your point, how would the bank know any different if the, if it, if the transfer happens and it goes from, Kyle Teixeira to do better investments LLC. How do, the the bank is going to assume that you've just moved it into your your LLC? Exactly, like most people do. Exactly, and most people buying these subject to deals are investment companies or are LLCs or buying it under an LLC. And now you're it's like okay, well, you 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 you're you know Joe Blow is fine signing over his property to cool cool bean property investments at every time he buys a rental property we're coming up with some good names i like it <laughs> but uh who knows the buyer could be slow bean property investments and the bank's not going to be like oh well that one's owned by this guy no they don't one they don't know and two i mean that that's usually a point of of numbing that concern just because they're like oh crap i've I've already done this nine times. Okay. Yeah, the one more is probably not that risky, right? Or or whatever. Right, right. Um, it's more of just how common that is. It's a, it's a statement of how common that, that do-on-sale is. So Yeah. The, uh, we're, what we're trying to do is downplay the do-on-sale clauses because it's the one point that people use to say, oh, yeah, but, yeah, but I know that there's a do-on-sale clause in every mortgage. It's there to protect the mortgage company. It should be there. The mortgage company should have that right. They didn't make a loan with you or anybody else. So if they choose to no longer service that loan with a new owner, they shouldn't have to. But to your point, it's no different than when you put it in your LLC. It's, I mean, it's absolutely no different and they really don't care. And it's part of the risk and it should be part of the terms, right? So say... It should like, be disclosed. You know, in, in that scenario, say mortgage company does come back and call the due on sale clause, right? Well, you know, now that's part what refer to your your terms. Okay, so the buyer took this risk knowing about the due on sale clause and knowing how this all works, right? And there could be a term that says if the mortgage company calls the mortgage at no fault of the seller, um via the due on sale or whatever it may be, now the buyer has to go get their own mortgage and pay it off, right? So they lose that interest rate. They, you know, essentially the deal ends. Well, here's the other part of that. Assuming they do that. If if they force the due on sale clause, it takes months for them to do that. So the due on sale clause says 30 days, but if you don't do it in 30 days they and they have to legally force you to do it, that process takes months depending on what state you're in. Here in Texas, I don't think it would take quite as long, but I know if you're in California, I've heard that it takes up to two and a half years to get a do-on-sale clause enforced. So every state's going to be a little bit different, but, you know, and you need to understand the state you're doing it in. It will take more time than it'll than it take will to for close you to refinance. refinance. That's <laughs> yeah, essentially exactly. what you're saying, is yep. it will take more yep. time. And, and here's the thing. When you refinance your home, we've all done it, right? Do you have to put more money down? Generally, no. 
Right. So it's it's easy. It's it's easy from the standpoint of I'm not putting more, I'm not infusing more capital into the deal. I already own the deal. I'm using your financing. Whether I gave you a hundred thousand or I just paid your payments up or whatever I did doesn't matter at this point. Now that's done and I now own the home. I can refinance just like I normally refinance, whether it's in my name, your name, doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, it, on conceptually, it sounds like that do-on-sale clause is more of a risk for the seller, right? But it's not. It's it's equal, kind of, but it's to the buyer, it's a risk of making the good deal not as good. Because now if, they, if that happens after six months and they have to refinance into high interest, that affects their whole, you know, the whole cap rate they they determined so um i think it's just something that needs to be disclosed personally yeah and that's it i don't think it's much of a risk to anybody and um and so what we're trying to do is kind of diffuse the risk a little bit by explaining what would happen in worst case scenario and i've never heard of any of those worst case scenarios actually yeah it's more of the, the main real things that happen is you're locked in a little bit to the financing right you don't have as much freedom to to change the type of financing that you have or or you know except for doing a full refinance you know you're kind of locked into that financing you Mm -hmm. picked that financing so that term that rate but that's usually why you do it so it's it can be good but it's it can be bad but it's so we should do a podcast on assumptions so that we can talk about the difference. I guess the dif- main difference is su- assu- with assumptions is it's a whole new loan that you qualify for and everything, right? So you assume a loan. Well, I'm sorry. You assume the same loan, but you qualify for it and everything. You go through that entire process and then change the names, and you essentially now have a loan, a new loan that you've assumed from the seller. Completely different. This is just using the existing financing the way it is, you're probably not even telling the bank you did it. You're just making a an address change to the bank so that they know where to email statements or where to mail statements, you know, now. And um, well, we'll we'll talk about we'll do we'll do one on assumptions because it it is worth yep. worth talking about. Yep, I think um, so. Because this one, I think it's worth also mentioning the 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 dark end. We 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 set this up as a good end of this 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 tool, right? That's how it should be used. It can create a really good deal for the seller and the buyer and put money in one's pocket, make it cheaper for the other, right? Um, You're basically a way of taking old interest rate environments and making them a reality today. Um, But the bad end of it is where people get taken advantage of, right? And I think it's worth mentioning because this is what isn't talked about out there and this is what happens. So say you have a $500,000, your mom or, you know, this is, your mom has a five a house that's now worth $500,000 that she bought 30, 40 years ago, right? Maybe she has a mortgage on it and they owe $23,000. let us use that number. They, they owe $23,000 on a $500,000 house. And they're behind on that mortgage for the $23,000. Well, some company or some investor or whatever could, could try to swoop in and say, hey, I'll take over your mortgage payments and catch you up if you do this subject too. And now they just bought a house that's worth five hundred thousand for twenty three thousand, essentially. So and that's where this can get ugly because there's no enforcement of that, right? This is a back end deal. Of, if the person doesn't understand what they just did and they were misled, yes, yes, absolutely. and that is what I've seen happen. Um, I've I've heard this exact story happen. Um, so that's where you know 
need to stay away from it. So, yeah. In yeah. every case that I've ever been involved in a subject to deal, both parties knew everything. They knew exactly what they were doing. They understood the terms. They understood what what the repercussions or what their benefits were at the end of the deal. And they understood the timelines. And that's mm-hmm. really important. If you're going to do one of these, you cannot disclose terms enough. And you cannot do too much to make sure everybody understands exactly what they're doing. Because mm-hmm. if you do that and everyone still agrees and says, okay, this is, this is, a, good, this is a good deal for me, let's go. You, you know, your hands are washed of, of anybody accusing you of doing that because this is going to be a win-win for both people. Otherwise, it shouldn't be done, right? Mm. So somebody's the, this buyer is going to get a good deal of some sort. He's either going to get great terms or a good deal on sales price or both, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with putting together a good deal for a buyer, right? There's If I'm a buyer or if I'm a, an agent of a buyer, that's what we should be doing. And as a seller... I'm I'm getting out of a house maybe that I that I don't have any other way of getting out of or I'm getting more for it than I would normally get for it and I'm being able to walk away with some assets and and I'm doing it in a way that is is allowing me to not have to fix up the home and and market the home and show the home and so there's all kinds of benefits to me as a seller also mm-hmm. then there's nothing wrong with that either the only thing that's wrong with it in the in the scenario you described as if everyone isn't fully disclosed on all the terms, period. Yeah. I also think it's worth noting um, something you said earlier about the alternative is getting nothing. Um, a lot of people don't realize that it's not always true. And this is, th- you should, before I describe this, there are always better routes that you should always go a better route than this. But in my example of the 500000 and only owning twenty three thousand on it. Um, if the bank took that home from the seller, and they sold it out on an auction or a courthouse steps, mind you, this house is worth five hundred thousand. This is going to bid up. In you know, they're the mortgage co- or the the auctioneer or whatever. They should start it wherever they want to start it. But say this thing sells for two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand. That's a great deal for whoever bought it, right? It will bid out that way. The bank was only owed twenty three thousand, even though they t- took it from you. Say this house sold for two hundred and twenty three thousand. They that overage of two hundred thousand is yours. Most people don't know that it goes unclaimed all the time in the state of Texas. The state can't claim it. It that overage is yours. So there is literally entire business models about reaching out to people to let them know about these overages and how to claim them and all that stuff. So just worth noting that it's not always nothing, you know, (laughs) if you got your house taken from you and didn't know anything on it. And you know, is that's common in tax sales, right? That's very common in tax sales. They'll take your house for not paying taxes. Well, you only owed 20 grand in taxes, right? And they sold your house for 200,000. So, you know, that money's yours. For yeah, for a period of time, for I think there's a recapture period of like seven years or something like that. But but yeah, so um, I I get it. I understand what you're saying. But but I was making a sales pitch to you on why a buyer would would how a buyer would pitch this to a seller, mm-hmm. right? Like because in essence, you're gonna walk away with nothing. 
Yeah. It's a possible it's possible that that it's I had trouble with that word right there, huh? <laughs> it's possible that what you said is gonna happen and there's gonna be an overage and they could get some. That is a possibility, but but it's but an unlikely and and not guaranteed possibility. So well, and there's there is better. That's why I started it with there is better solutions than what I just described. Because if there was an overage available, you you there was ways you could have gotten more, or gotten it without your house having to be taken. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to an expert, people who know creative financing, creative ways of, of doing anything. You know, um, I mean, we're out of the market right now for this, but you know this. This can tie back mm. around eventually to short sales, right? Short sales involve <laughs> yep. ways um, to you know, that too. I got to say, if you're thinking about doing this, I mean, here, I, I just want to say, I just kind of want to get on, get on a little bit of a soapbox a little bit. Okay, Kyle? Um, because there are people out there, there's, there's two, so you don't know what a soapbox is? Nope. There are two worlds out there. There is a real estate licensed real estate agent world that knows how to do traditional real estate sales. There's an investment world out there that does real estate sales almost exactly like real estate agents do them, but they're not licensed. And they're not licensed for a reason. They have contempt for the way the real estate agents do things. They don't want to be regulated by somebody else. They want to do whatever they want to do and Sometimes take advantage of people. So you need to be careful of both. If you're thinking about doing something creative like this, what I would implore you is to find a real estate agent that understands creative financing and understands the investment world. They're out there. That's the person you want helping you through this. The traditional real estate agent is not going to be helpful. They're going to hurt you and they're not going to be helpful. The investor that has no no tie to being licensed whatsoever also is is going to only be looking after themselves and not be helpful to you either. Well, not just uh, – I'd say experienced too. Experienced, it, I mean, absolutely. Knowledgeable about yep. the stuff is great, but, <clears throat> you know, people's real estate agents can be taken advantage of just as easily. So I talked to – I've talked to, if I said subject to right now to a room of a hundred real estate agents, I might find maybe a handful that would know what I was even talking about. Here, Here's a point to that. We were at a conference and someone did, it was a, it was a presentation or something, but subject to, they put it in their presentation, subject to, right? Not because they knew anything about it, just because they knew it was up and coming or whatever. And it said everything, right? Subject to the number. <laughs> and I, I mean, that's a simple point. That's it, that to us. That's like you think they were just being clever. No, I think they legitimately think they just, just didn't knew understand what and the had two heard was? about subject two and wanted to start a conversation about it, which about is what they said. Two. But it's so wrong but to put understand. the number subject to like one, two, three, four. Like, no, right. it is subject to two. somebody. It, it matters because it is the whole premise of the entire tool. <laughs> and if you call it subject to, it's like, all right, well, we're like, I wonder what subject three financing is. Subject four, <laughs> um, you know, how creative can we get with this? So, uh, that's uh, so you're right. It's very uncommon. People know about it. I have met investors that have done it that don't know what it is. And, so. and, and investors don't 
typically they're in the investment world because they don't like real estate agents or they don't want to work with real estate agents or they don't know how to work with real estate agents. So those two worlds, they collide and they don't, they don't work cohesively very often. And it's ironic because they're both doing exactly the same thing. And there, a lot of times these investors are helping people and doing good things. Right. And, and, so the real estate agent, I'm talking to the real estate agent out there that, that understands this or has any interest in this, you should start going to some investment clubs and start learning about these creative financing ways that, that you can do things so that you can help your clients even better, right? Yeah, because there is ways that are extremely helpful. And that's, that's what's in this environment again today is say in 2022 at the peak of everything like there was people who bought houses at the peak of prices so like say at zero percent down or whatever um so they have this two hundred and fifty thousand dollar house that they owe two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on right they're about to lose it and get foreclosed on well there there's no money for them in that house it's a net it's a net loss, right? Or whatever, even if it's a break even. The what's not a break even is the foreclosure on your record and the bank taking a house from you, right? That looks that destroys your credit, all these negatives where some investor could come in and say, Hey, well, to me, that interest rate you have on that note's valuable, subject to it to me, walk away and it's a good deal for both parties. Which is why between so. 2008 and 2011, this was a prevalent thing that, that people were doing for, for exactly that reason. Mm-hmm. And it, it, we may get there again for different reasons. We yeah. may have the environment is in place, like you said, because of interest rates is creating that environment. We may have another inflationary run. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And... um but the scenario I just described is a very good reason to do it. To, it actually helps people out. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't just save the foreclosure; right. it catches up that credit line. So you walk away with no debt. You're paid up. It's it should help your credit, and you know whatever. It was a failed deal for you, of course, but it was saved in the end by this buyer versus the alternative of, you know, you get the house taken, foreclosed on your house, your your credit gets destroyed. They sell it under market and now you owe them the difference it sounds a lot worse than walking around away with nothing you know so yep yep you don't want to owe the bank forty thousand, have no house and have destroyed credit <laughs> you know and i hope to your point kyle i have not sounded like i'm not a proponent of subject to because i am i'm just i've just seen it used as a tool to take advantage of people yeah i know and that's where and, i both bring it up and so we i just it is it's a tool it's out there. It should be used. I just hate seeing these people on social media talking about it like it's extremely easy, like it's something that just everybody should just be doing and you should own you should go out and buy 10 houses tomorrow subject to. I mean, this is something that it takes a while to put these deals together to negotiate them. You you don't just go out and find them. They kind of come to you because you got your eyes wide open. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you got to yeah, I mean or you you go out or you go seek them out. That's what these people are advising on social media is you got to go find people who need this, right? Well, you know, just go we, you know what, you know what happens when you, when you get a foreclosure, when, when you, the foreclosure process starts and the notice of default goes out and you end up on that foreclosure list, mm-hmm. 
You know what happens after that? You get blown up. You get blown up in every possible way that you can get blown up. You get called. You get emailed. You get mail. Your mailbox becomes full of investors wanting to help you. Yeah, we're just talking about one point one of creative do I use? financing, right? <laughs> you know, we just spent this whole time talking about subject two. Someone, <clears throat> another investor, be coming from another avenue of. You, you know what you happens? Know. You know what happens? I know you. Okay, so let's say you're my friend. And we got that scenario that we just talked about, okay? Okay. And you're behind on your on your payment, and you're in the middle of foreclosure. You know why you and I are talking about this subject too right now? Is because I have a relationship with you, and you've worked with me in the past. But your mailbox is still full, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. full of those investors that all want to help. Yep. So why didn't you call them? Why are we talking about it? Why didn't you call one of the hundred people that have mailed sent you a mail? That want to do the same thing that I want to do. Well, because I trust you, right? Because you trust me, because you know me, because you don't know what to think or why all these people are now. You assume that they're all trying to take advantage of you because all of a sudden your mailbox is full of people wanting to H-E-L-P. Yep. And I still haven't extended my car's extended warranty. (laughs) (laughs) That's the other reason, too. (laughs) So does that solve all these problems if yeah. you do that? I don't know. I've never tried. <laughs> You've never tried? Because those people are so blatantly trying to take advantage <laughs> of you. It's less blatant in foreclosure process. So. But uh, my point is that it's, it's as a human being, when, you get, when you're in this situation, you are now overwhelmed. This is what I meant by that. Keep your eyes wide open. Make sure people know you're out there, you're willing and able to help in these situations. But just... Counting on the foreclosure list and sending a letter out with everyone else, waste of time, waste of money. So I try to tell people all the time, foreclosure list is an absolute waste of money. Where it's not a waste of money is knowing what's on the foreclosure list so that when you get an opportunity and I bump into you at Starbucks or something, or like, hey, how's it going? And I know that you're on the foreclosure list and I know you, right? Now it's effective. Now I can start a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Um, or you'll take my call because I know you. But just being a random, another random person calling on the foreclosure list, I don't know, it might work for some every once in a while, but it's pretty hit and miss. Unfortunately, I see that it works for people. And it's usually not good for the person that answers that call. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's subject two. Subject T-O. Subject to you, subject to you. Subject to existing financing is what that term is is referring to. And I hope that this has been helpful. We do need to do one on assumptions. Maybe we could get Trevor involved in that, huh? Yeah. So get Trevor in here and talk about what's happening in in uh, in the mortgage world today. And we talk about assumptions. How's that sound? Yep. And do on sale clauses and all that, right? No, I'm just <laughs> don't talk to lenders about do on sale nope, clauses. No, nope, don't, don't, just... don't even mention it. <laughs> and oh, that's the other one. What if your mortgage gets sold? Does that change the terms of your mortgage? No. Easy. No. No. All right. Well, you guys want to hear anything about subject two? Do it. Find somebody. Need help. Or really any of it. 817-818-9039. That'll get you to TPM's main line. Or shoot us an email at showmethemoney at wertpm.com. Thank you all for tuning in. And subject to out. (laughs) Later.